Hello, and welcome to The Shining Light, where we are shining the light of the gospel and speaking the truth in love, providing strength, and stirring the hearts of our listeners. We are so glad to have you joining us today as you listen to this message from Pastor Tim Cruz. I wanted to show you this rock. It's from the Valley of Elah. How many of you have heard of that valley? You been there? Rebecca and I were there recently. It's where David got the five smooth stones from the brook in his battle with Goliath, and he prevailed in the power and the name of the Lord. They encouraged us. We got down in there, and I'll show you a picture here in a moment. And uh, they said, hey, take a rock, take five. I did. And uh, here's one of them, all right? And uh, so they gathered us all there. And I want you to see this this morning as we look at some things together and uh, just to be encouraged with what God is doing in uh, the life and ministry of our church. We recall what God has done in the past. And the God that David served is the same God that we're serving today. And I want you to see this and I want you to think about it and I want you to notice some things Let's take our Bibles and turn this morning, and let's stand together. We're going to read just one little phrase as we begin. Let's stand together. First Chronicles chapter 12, the very last phrase of the chapter in verse 40. First Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 40, if you'll find your place there. I want you to see this because we're studying about the life of David. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. David is mentioned 1,127 times in 54 different chapters and in the book of Psalms. Contrast that with the Apostle Paul. Paul is mentioned 163 times. David, 1,127 times. Almost one mention per chapter in the Bible. God wants us to learn something from the life of David. And so when you consider that, we read 1 Chronicles chapter 12 in the last part of verse 40. Let's read it aloud together. You ready? Here we go. For there was joy in Israel. Would you read it again? For there was joy in Israel. Thank you. you may be seated. Rebecca and I were in the Valley of Elah recently, and uh, it was an amazing time and a place to visit. This, this valley is southwest of Jerusalem. It's about a half a mile long. It's found between the coastal plain where the Philistines dwell and the hill country of Judah. And so as we look back over that, I want you just to see and note some things here. Uh, if you'll look down into this as we uh, get a little bit closer in our next picture, uh, you'll see just uh, the lay of the land from the hilltop here and then uh, just some different... Uh, surrounding areas. Uh, Bethlehem would be to the left and Hebron to the right on the top of the back ridge if you would uh, look at these pictures and see them more closely. But then even a closer view here, you can see now what they have built in uh, the valley is uh, some greenhouses and there's a brook that's just this side. You can see it, you kind of see it working its way through there. That's the brook we're speaking of. And, uh, and then this is a picture of when I was visiting that brook, not this time, but a time prior. 
uh, we had a whole group of preachers, and we were there together, and I had this picture from that time. And so it was amazing to go down in there and see that and to be just a part of imagining what took place in that day, the reality of it. And so as we think about that, I think about some other things that you see here. There again, you can see this stone, all right? You've got that. I can't imagine something like that hitting me right here. And uh, But the Lord is able to take care of the Goliaths of our lives. Isn't that right? And so God oftentimes uses physical means, natural means, to accomplish supernatural purposes, and we have to understand that. That's one thing I was reminded of when we were there in Israel, how uh, supernatural the natural is. God created the natural. We're looking for something supernatural. And that has its place. But get this. God works through the natural to accomplish supernatural things. And uh, you think about how he cares for his people. And uh, even the uh, very lay of the land and all the various things, whether it be for protection or provision or water and all the different things with the mountains taking in the snow and then the water being absorbed in the mountain and then the mountain feeding down through there across the land. God is so amazing in the natural because God made it. The supernatural understanding of the natural itself is what God wants us to see. But then we also came to a place here, and I want you to see this, uh, what they believe is the very spearhead of uh, Goliath's spear, and this would be the fourth from the left at the bottom is 26 inches long, and it must have had a handle, they said, like a weaver's beam, as the Bible speaks of, and that would be about six feet long. Can you imagine? They found this in Gath, and they said they actually believe this is Goliath's spearhead. Amazing, is it not? This is in the museum in Jerusalem. And so the history of Israel and uh, all of God's workings, it is there still in some form or fashion. And they're discovering that more and more as they go. But I think about when David met Goliath here in the Valley of Elod in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, we know he prevailed, and then this is by way of introduction, we're coming to our text here, but in 1 Samuel 18, 6, the Bible says, and it came to pass when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. Think about it. They were so excited about what had happened. The country had prevailed. Goliath and the Philistines were defeated and they were singing with rejoicing. And here's what they were saying. You remember? Saul has slain his what? Thousands. And David his? Ten thousands. And, and then all of a sudden, Saul is afraid. They were singing with joy. Let me ask, what rejoices you today? I thought of this. Those with a heart for God are drawn to other people with a heart for God. Obedient people rejoice when others are obedient to God. Obedient people are happy when God blesses others. Just like these ladies rejoice with David, God wants us to be a victorious, rejoicing people. 
You say, Pastor, how can we walk in victory and rejoice in the Lord? What does God want us to do? I want to tell you, whatever we do here in this local church, God wants us to do his work his way. And that's the key. When you do God's work God's way, there's going to be a byproduct of joy. And I want you to see this here in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Because these are gathering together with David. They're gathering to uh, recognize that he's king, that the hand of God is upon him. And as a result, they've come together here. And the Bible says that these were those who were skilled and able, according to verse 2. They were trained, fit for battle, in verse 8. They were unafraid to get their feet wet, in verse 15. They were loyal, in verse 17. And uh, they came to help David. Think about it. The way God helps his servant oftentimes is to send him help. Helpers come. And they said in verse 18 that we are your helpers for thy God help of thee. We see that God is with you. God has his hand upon your life. And God is helping you. And so God's put it in our heart to come and help you as well. That's the way God works. And so we see how God is putting things in place for David's reign over the kingdom because Saul has met his demise. Back in chapter 10, you read about the death of Saul and God highlights that more than his life. It's amazing, isn't it? I wonder if when we leave this world, what will be said of us? The tragic way we left or the victorious life we lived. What will be said of you and me? Well, they said, we see that God's with you. God is helping you. We want to help you. Verse 21, and they helped David. Verse 22, they came to David to help him. The Bible says in verse 23, they came to turn the kingdom of Saul to him. Think of that. There were those in verse 32 who had an understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. It's like, sir, here's where we're at. Here's what we're facing. Every leader needs good advice, good advisors, people with discernment, understanding. The Bible says that they, in verse 33, could keep rank and they were not of double heart. They could keep rank. They were pure-hearted, singular-hearted, wholehearted. That means undivided. Their loyalty was pure and whole toward God and toward his servant. Verse 37 says they came with all manner of instruments. They were prepared. They were ready. They were serious. They were sincere in their commitment to God and to his servant. This is a new day, a new opportunity. The reign of Saul it could have been glorious but he chose not to seek God. He chose to leave God out. And in his own wisdom and his own strength, he failed miserably. And so will we if we leave the Lord out of our lives. But David had a heart for God and others saw that and that God had anointed him and raised him up. And so the Bible says again in verse 38, all these men of war that could keep rank came with a perfect heart to Hebron to make David king over all Israel. Amazing. When you think about this, south of Jerusalem, Hebron here, they came with a perfect heart. 
their heart was right with God and right with David. And so it says on the last part, they were of one heart to make David king. And then as a result of all of that, the byproduct of that was joy, for there was joy in Israel. I want you to write this down. Number one, how can we do God's work God's way? By finding your part and fulfilling it. By finding your part and fulfilling it. Do what God's given you to do. There were various men from various backgrounds and all the different tribes, even those of the tribe of Saul, the tribe of Benjamin, from whence Saul came. And uh, yet they came and they said, we see that God is with you. It's proven, it's demonstrated now. It's clear. And we're going to come and pledge our heart, our loyalty to you. We're willing to do our part to help you to do what God wants done in this place, in this hour. And the Bible says as a result of that, there was joy in Israel. There was victory They found their place in the will of God, in the purpose and the timing of God, and they simply pledged their loyalty. They said, we'll do what God has given us to do. And great joy came. There's no joy like the joy of an obedient Christian. Somebody from the heart is trying their best to please the Lord. Now, we all know we come short. As Spurgeon said, we mourn our own weaknesses. But here we are today with a God who's given us a new day, a new week, a new year. And we're purposed to serve the Lord together, are we not? With a right heart. Obedience is inward. It starts with the heart. One has said God expects soul movement toward full obedience. God expects it. Our heart, our soul, our very inner man moving toward full obedience unto him. We're going to do God's work, God's way this year. One way that God is going to bless us and we're going to have joy as a result of that is by finding our place and filling it. If you move into chapter 13, you'll find that David wanted to bring the ark before the Lord and his people again. And they thought they'd get together here in verse 3. And uh, they would bring this ark and they would rejoice over the blessing of God upon them anew. And so they devised a way to do this with a new card in verse 7. And then they began to play in verse 8 before God with all their might, get this, singing with harps, psalteries, timbrels, and with cymbals, and with trumpets. Think about it. This was a grand celebration. Then all of a sudden the oxen stumbled and Uzzah lifted up to steady the ark and the Lord smote him. Oh, it's amazing. The Bible says in verse 10, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And he smote him because he put his hand to the ark and he died before God. Now get David's response. David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. The word displeased here means to glow, to blaze up. I mean, it's like, what? What's going on here? What's wrong with this? Why in the world would this happen? 
But at the same time, the Bible says in verse 12, and David was afraid of God that day, saying, how shall I bring the ark of God home to me? Now think about this. The word afraid here means to fear or to revere. You might get aggravated, agitated, frustrated, even upset with what God allows in your life, but you must let your fear of God, your reverence, your respect of God overcome your displeasure. Did you get that? Would you let the Lord sink that down into your heart? Because if the truth is known, there's some of us here today, that's where we're at. We're aggravated with the Lord. Frustrated, perhaps even displeased. I don't know why you would allow this. Why have I faced this? Why is my life so hard? I'm trying to do right. Why am I facing this? You ever been there? David was there. He got mad. He got upset. But he had enough sense to know that, hey, if something's wrong here, it's not on God's end. It must be on my end. It's something wrong with us. What have we done amiss here? How am I going to bring the Lord's ark to his, to his house? What am I going to do here? And so they put him in the house of Obed-Edom for three months, and he sought the Lord. And then you get into chapter 15. At first they were doing the right thing the wrong way, but then they did the right thing the right way, God's way, because David said in verse 2, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. God said there's a due order about all of this according to verse 13. And he said we didn't seek the Lord the first time to do his work his way, and as a result, it cost us greatly. When we got in line with God's word to do what God said, then God blessed it. And I think this is amazing here because none but the Levites, there were 870 Levites that David appointed and said, this is the work that God wants you to take care of to bring this ark back. This is the way God wants it done. See, there again, we all have things we want to do. We all want to be active. We all want to be all excited about things. I, I thought this was interesting here. If you'll note in uh, chapter 13, uh, David gathered all of Israel together and, uh, and when he talked to them about doing this, I, I thought it was the most amazing thing that when they got together here, according to uh, this matter in uh, verse number 4 of chapter 13, he said, uh, we're going to do this. And, uh, and all the congregation said that they would do so for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Isn't that amazing? David said, now this is what we're going to do. Look back in verse 2. And David said unto the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you that it be of the Lord our God. Now listen, if, if you're with me on this, if you'll help me out, and, and if it pleases God, if God will get glory, think about how, how we talk sometimes. That, that, that facade. You know, if we'll, we'll get together on this and, and we'll do it, and, and if God be pleased. That's really what David is saying here. If the Lord be pleased, if the Lord's with us, I think about how many of us say, well, if the Lord's will, we know God willing, we don't mean that no more than a man on the moon. It's just talk. Because the action betrays the talk. Because they did something not according to God said. And God called them out for their action, not for their talk. They were sincere. They played and rejoiced with all their might. Hey, praise God, praise God. The ark is coming home. Praise God, praise God. And then all of a sudden, Uzzah dies. 
No wonder it's like, what in the world? You see that? I think that's amazing. We don't need to miss that. Because if we're not careful, we think that action is what God is after. No, he's after obedient action. He wants us to act, yes, but he wants us to obey. Obedience is better than what? Sacrifice. All of our offerings, all of our efforts, all of our, quote, good faith and our well-meaning, and if God be pleased, we just want God to be glorified, and, and oh, we're so sincere, we mean so well, and God sees the heart behind that. Sometimes the ones we deceive the most is ourselves. I'm just so sincere, I mean so well. David was sincere, he meant well, and all the people say, yeah, this is a good idea, let's do it. I, I want to challenge you this morning, I want you to take this to heart. If we're not careful, there may be something amiss in our lives and we're blinded to it right now because we have justified it and excused it by thinking, well, if I'm doing all of this good in every other area of my life, that makes up for and atones or covers for that area where I knowingly am not really where I need to be with the Lord. We need to be careful there. That's not the way God works. God's not looking, well, do you, does your good outweigh your bad? If you got more good, then that's all I'm interested in. No, God is saying, I, I'm interested in obedience. That's what I'm looking for. Just trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. You want joy, real joy, true joy in your life? Do God's work God's way. Find your place and fill it, but get it. Do God's work God's way by finding what pleases God and do it. Write that down if you will. Find what pleases God. What pleases God? What does is, what is God say about the matter? David shouldn't have started with the people. And hey, what do y'all think? Hey, let's get together and do, see, there it is. It's like, hey, let's figure out what we're going to do for God. God, would you bless what we're going to do for you? And God says, no, that's not the way it works. Find out what I want done and do it my way, and that's what I'll bless. And God blessed them. And you can see back in chapter 15, they rejoiced again before the Lord. And the Bible says in the latter part of verse 16, by lifting up their voice with what? What is it? Joy. They had joy when they did God's work God's way. They found what pleased God and they just simply did it. And the byproduct of that was joy. I don't know about you, but it's better to be displeased with yourself than to be displeased with God. If something's amiss in your life, don't put God on trial. He's perfect. If anything, turn around and say, Lord, what's in me that makes me think this way, feel this way, respond this way? Better to be displeased with yourself than be displeased with God. And better for others to be displeased with you than for God to be displeased with you. Because if you look at the end of chapter 15 here, remember David was dancing before the Lord rejoicing. There was true joy. They did God's work God's way. They found what pleased God and they did it. And they were just rejoicing and shouting and praising God. But the Bible says in the last part of verse 29, Michael, this was the daughter of Saul, she saw King David dancing and playing and she what? Despised him in her heart. If you're going to please God, you're not going to please everyone else. You're going to have to make up your mind. 
who you're going to follow. Others and their expectations or the Lord. If you won't do what God is giving you to do for fear of others, fear of others have more control over you than God does. If you're hesitating because like, well, what will people think? What will they say? Well, who has power over you? Do you see that? God wants to break that. It'd be better to have others displeased with you than to have God displeased with you. You're going to have to settle that in your heart before the Lord. It's not like you are nonchalant and you don't care. But that's not the point. The point is this. is like, well, I'm going to do what God has given me to do. And, and good people see they'll rejoice with that. Uh, one noted businessman today, even perhaps the world's richest man, said his mother told him at some point, she said, beware of jealous people. She said, you will look at them like family and they'll look at you like competition. How do you look at other people? Are you happy for them? Do you enter in the blessing of God upon their lives? Do you rejoice in the goodness of God? Or you look at other people and say, la-di-da, think there's something, don't they? Yeah, 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 going on and on and on. I imagine, I wonder what it'd be like if we could play an audio of our conversations from this past week. See, we can talk it all day long. Some of us, we're so good at talking it. God has said, I'm weary with your words. I want to see you obey me. I want you to have a heart to please me. Quit measuring yourself among yourselves and against each other and trying to size each other up and trying to build yourself up by tearing other people down. That is not my heart. That is not who I am. And you are not pleasing to me if you have such a spirit. The Bible says those who have a heart for God rejoice with those who rejoice. They weep with those who weep. If you're rejoicing because someone else is weeping, you're not right with God. Quit, quit acting like you are. Quit covering it up. Quit acting, oh, I love Jesus. Quit telling everybody how much you love Jesus. Don't you think it's time that a hurting world, a lost world, sees a church that loves Jesus? Not just hears them, but sees them in action, their heart of compassion and love and tenderness toward them. I can't imagine sometimes we have just this, a totally reversed view of who God is. He's this big granddaddy up in the sky. And oh, he's there just to affirm me and make me happy and just to give me whatever I want. And if I'm upset and disappointed, he's going to come alongside and comfort me and he's going to deal with all those meanies in my life that I don't like or I feel inferior to. God deliver us from us. Isn't that right? There's a work that God wants done. There are people who need our Savior. And it won't be done if all we're doing is thinking about ourselves and what we want or what we need or even what we want to do. Here's what I want to do for God. Why don't you pray and learn how to get along with God and say, God, not my will, but thine be done. Show me what you want me to do, Lord, and I'll do it. Oh, may God help us. There's one last one here. And I want you to see this over in chapter 29. 
we do God's work God's way by finding our place and fulfilling it, by finding what pleases God and doing it. But then you get into chapter 28 and 29. Remember last week we were here, chapter 28, verse 10, David told Solomon, be strong and do it. Build this temple. I've spent the latter years of my life gathering all these things together, all the materials, all the supplies, some 40 million tons of silver and gold. I put people together. God's given us the pattern, the plan. It's all in place. It's ready to go. But get this. When you get into chapter 29, David said in verse 3, Because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God, over and above all that I prepared for the holy house. In other words, I ask others to give. They gave, but I gave also, son. My heart is truly in this thing for God and for you. And others rallied around and they gave willingly. But notice in verse 9 of chapter 29. Then the people what? Rejoiced for that they offered willingly. Because with perfect heart. See that means sincere, undivided. It wasn't about them, it was about God. It wasn't about personality. It wasn't about uh, just cliques and groups and getting together. It, it was not that. It was about uniting around what God wanted. Uniting around his glory. Because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced, rejoiced with what? Great joy. See, some of us were after joy today. Lord, I want to be happy. Would you give me joy? Please give me joy, Lord. Please give me joy. That's not what God wants us to seek. Joy is not a pursuit. Joy is a byproduct of obedience to God. Don't pray for joy. Pray that God will help you to be obedient. If we'll obey God, then joy will come. I'm rejoicing in the Lord today because I've set my affection on him and on his house. Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. One Christian leader stated, So how we spend our money essentially speaks to the core of our personal beliefs. In other words, money not only reflects our interests, it reveals them. The National Financial Educators Council, located in Nevada, stated, Financial illiteracy is estimated to have cost Americans more than $252 billion in 2021. We're a land of abundance, a land of waste. Can you imagine what our priorities are? our bank account, I would say our checkbook. Maybe we don't have that like we used to. I don't. I've got the app. How many of you have a bank app? If you pull your app up today, like I will, because I'm on top of it every day, double-checking, Your bank account will reveal your priorities, your heart. If God's nowhere to be found in that, what can I say? What can anybody say? Because they found what they could give and they gave it. The Bible says David did. He said, I gave it. The chief of the fathers of the princes in verse 6, the captains, the rulers, they gave willingly. 
Others gave willingly. The people offered willingly. They all gave, and as a result, the byproduct of finding what they could give and giving it, there was joy. Now, I want joy in my life. I've showed you right here in the scriptures three times when God says there was joy. Four, if you'll count the ladies by introduction, rejoicing over David's victory over Goliath. But think about it. If we do God's work God's way, we'll find our place and we'll fill it. What is my place, Lord? I'll do it with a pure heart for your glory. I'm going to find what pleases the Lord. We're going to do it. We're going to be a biblical church by the grace of God. We're going to honor the Lord in all things. We're going to do God's work God's way. And then we're simply going to find what we can give, and we're going to give it because we can't outgive the Lord. And how many of you have lived and learned that? I've never outgiven the Lord. You're going to see tonight, by the grace of God, how God has blessed this church. We've given and given and given and given. Sacrifice, toil to many through the years. Stunningly, God is true to his word, faithful. And I pray tonight will be a time of rejoicing because the Bible says, that David prayed in verse 18, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people. Lord, help them to never forget what you've done, how faithful you've been. Oh, the challenges, they've been real. But our God has been greater. I want to be a rejoicing Christian, don't you? I don't want to be somebody that finds a fault in every good thing that God gives. I don't want to be somebody who talks himself out of everything, who's always hesitating, holding back, holding out, sitting on the sidelines. I want to be in the game. I want to do what God has given me to do, and I want to rejoice in him, not only throughout this life, but in the life to come. Thank you for listening to The Shining Light. We pray that this time has been a time of encouragement and blessing to you. The Shining Light is a production of Shining Light Baptist Church, located at 2541 Old Charlotte Highway in Monroe, North Carolina. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to join us. Service times and more information can be found at our website, www.shininglightmonroe.com. You can also watch our services on Facebook and YouTube and connect with us on social media. Thank you for joining us, and God bless.